0: Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You may be seated. Thanks, Julie. As we get seated, let me pray for us. (coughs) Gracious God, would you be with us now? Would you make your word live to us? And would you be... With the kids downstairs, would you make your word live to them? May we all, upstairs and downstairs, see wondrous things in your word this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. It's one of the team here. And I just want to say it's so good to be back with all of you. My family and I, we were away back in Singapore for three weeks. 18-hour flights each way, 16-hour time difference, two kids... You can ask my wife about it later, but we're back. We're back. (laughs) So let's get into it. You're into the second week of your New Year's exercise regime. It's dark outside. The alarm clock, or the alarm on your phone, wakes you up an hour before you're used to. Your body is aching. It's cold. You're tired. It's probably wet, and you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Have you ever found yourself asking yourself that question? If you've ever had to do something you don't enjoy, or if you've ever spent any amount of time reflecting on the past or, or thinking about the future, at some point you've probably found yourself asking yourself the question, Why am I doing this? Why are we? Doing this. See, this was the same question that some in the Corinthians church were asking themselves. If you're just joining us, we're, we're in our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a letter written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, to the church in Corinth 2,000 years ago. In chapters 1 to 14, which we've already gone through, Paul was uh, addressing several problems and questions that the Corinthians were asking. And as we turn now to chapter 15, Paul turns to address several questions the Corinthians were asking about the gospel message itself. In, in chapter 15, verses, let me just give a roadmap of how it's set out. Verses 1 to 11 introduce the topic, verses 12 to 34, Paul answers questions about whether Jesus really resurrected from the dead. Verses 35-58, to he addresses questions about the process of resurrection. What kind of bodies are people resurrected in? And like I mentioned, what we need to see is that Paul isn't just answering these questions, he's answering the question behind these questions. See, the Corinthians were asking, did the resurrection really take place? But behind those questions, they were asking, why are we doing this? Why should we live the Christian life? See, there's so much to unpack in chapter 15, and today we're just going to start scratching the surface by looking at verses 1 and 2. There are sort of a, an introduction to the introduction. We have two points, the necessity of the gospel and holding fast to the gospel. The necessity of the gospel and holding fast to the gospel. And just so I can manage your expectations, we're going to spend most of our time in point 1. So don't worry, if we're most of the way through and we're still in point one, we're going to end on time. So, point one, the necessity of the gospel. Recently, Jess and I were re-watching the BBC uh, version of the Sherlock Holmes TV series. You know, with Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. If you've never watched it before, I highly recommend it, especially because, as as I've said over this pulpit many times before, everything always sounds better in a British accent. So, Sherlock Holmes is a detective, and each episode is about him solving a crime. There was this one episode where, where there's a secret code spray-painted onto the wall of every crime scene. It's the same code each time, but, but the detectives, as smart as they are, can't seem to understand it or make sense of it until, until they realize that the code is actually a string of numbers referring to the pages and lines of a book. The book is the key to understanding the code, and once they they find the book, they can understand the code and they solve the crime. Here's the point. The gospel is the key to understanding the Christian life. Without the gospel, the Christian life will not make sense. Without the gospel, we will not understand why should we live like this? You see, when when we read 1 Corinthians, if you take some time and you want to read 1 Corinthians from the very start, you'll see that the gospel laid out in chapter 15 is the key to understanding chapters 1 to 14. We've been going through chapters 1 to 14 and we've gone through the, the instructions and encouragements on various topics on how to live the Christian life. And these have been so good and so important because we need instructions and encouragements on how to live the Christian life. But here's the thing. None of it will make sense without the gospel because the gospel is the key that is necessary to living the Christian life. The Corinthians, as much as chapters 1 to 14 were good, needed chapter 15. And so let's just recap some of the instructions and encouragements that Paul covered in chapters 1 to 14. He told them to pursue unity, to persevere in a Christian sexual ethic, meaning flee from sexual immorality. He said, trust God's plan for your life because singleness is good and marriage is good. Seek the good of others. Surrender your rights for the good of others, build up others, flee from idolatry, rejoice in the complimentary ways God has created men and women, be patient and kind, don't envy, don't boast, don't be proud. You see, the Corinthians needed correction and encouragement and instruction in each of these areas because the culture around them was laughing at them. The culture around them was laughing at them, making fun of them, pressuring them not to live as Christians, but to live as everyone else. And that's still the case today, isn't it? Even as I've recapped all these areas we've gone through, we realize that so much of the Christian life still doesn't make sense to our culture today. And so just as the Corinthians were asking themselves, why should I live like this? So many of us are asking ourselves, why should we live like this? Christ, I want to start this morning by asking, what is the area of the Christian life you are asking that question about? What is the area of the Christian life you are struggling to understand, you're struggling to persevere in? Perhaps you're being made fun of. Make fun of people at school, at work, in in, in the soccer team, in the basketball team, in your neighborhood, in your family gatherings. You still believe that? Where you're getting pressure from others to live like everyone else, where you have started wondering, why am I living like this? Is it worth it? Christ, it is a question of when and not if. When we find ourselves asking that question, We need to start with the gospel. The Corinthians needed chapter 15 and we all need chapter 15. Because the gospel isn't just the key to entering the Christian life, the gospel is the key for all of the Christian life. Let me say that again. The gospel is not just the key to entering the Christian life, the the gospel is the key to all of the Christian life. We all need the gospel. When we wonder, why am I doing this? We need to start with the gospel. Look at verse 1. Paul writes this. Now I will remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. And before we go on, I just want to point out, note, note the the slight sharpness, the slight bite in Paul's tone. (laughs) He's not just reminding them. He's reminding them of what he has already preached to them and what they have already received. Do you see he wrote that? He's not just reminding them, he's reminding them of what he wants to make clear they should not need reminding of. And what is the gospel Paul is reminding them of? He summarises it in verse 3. He writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul summarizes the gospel message right there, the message of salvation, the message of the saving and transforming power of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins, and so the power and consequences of sin have no hold over us. He was raised back to life on the third day, confirming his victory over sin. You see, it was not enough just for Jesus to die. He also had to come back to life because anyone can die. Anyone can claim that their death produces victory over death and sin. But the only way we know what they say to be true is when they come back to life. When, When they come back to life and show that they have conquered sin and death. This is the gospel message that Paul preached to the Corinthians. The gospel message which he says they received in which they stood and by which they stand. Which they received by which in which they stood and by which they are being saved. Let's unpack each of these firstly, which you received. He writes, now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. See, the gospel is a message which they received. It's a message that all Christians receive. But I, I want to be very clear here. When Paul talks about receiving, he's talking more, much more than just hearing something. He's talking about hearing it and then actively accepting it. It's, it's like the other day that the church staff were exchanging marriage proposal stories One was set in Italy, Uh, one involved a lost ring, one forgot to kneel. Each story was, was so different, but no matter how different each story was, they all had something in common. There was the proposal, and there was the acceptance of the proposal. You see, for a proposal to be mission accomplished, it's not just enough for a proposal to be heard, the proposal has to be accepted, So when Paul talks about receiving the gospel, he's not just talking about hearing it. He says it's about hearing it and accepting it. Actively accepting it for your own, accepting Jesus' sacrifice for our sins and committing to living the new life we have in him for his glory under his lordship. And so before we go on, I need to ask this question. Are there some of us who have heard the gospel but have stopped short of accepting it? You see, it's not enough to to go to church every Sunday. It's not enough to read Christian books and listen to Christian sermons and, and, and accumulate all this Christian content. We need to move from hearing or reading to accepting. And if you are stuck between hearing and accepting, I invite you to come and talk to me. Come and talk to one of the staff. Come and talk to a Christian that you trust. Help us to to walk with you as, as, as you navigate the obstacles between hearing and accepting because accepting the gospel is the first step. It's the moment that your life changes. Just as accepting a marriage proposal changes your status from single to engaged, Accepting the gospel transforms your status from dead to alive, from lost to saved, from slave to free. And that's what Paul means when he says, he talks about the gospel in which they stand. He talks about He's talking about the gospel that is the very basis for who they are. Look again at verse 1. He writes, "'Now I will remind you, brothers and sisters, "'of the gospel I preached to you, "'which you received, in which you stand.'" See, you stand in the gospel because the moment you accept the gospel message, the place in which you stand changes. You become a new person. See, it's much more than accepting, uh, than accepting a marriage proposal. The message of the gospel is a message with power. Power that transforms not just your status, but your very being, who you are. You're transformed because when you accept this message of power, you've been united with Christ in His death, in his crucifixion and in his resurrection, Paul put it so well in Galatians two twenty. He writes, "I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. But in the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me." Christ city. When we find ourselves asking why are we living the Christian life, the next question has to be, do I believe in the gospel? Did Christ really die for me? Did he really come back to life to prove his victory over sin and death was complete, to guarantee the hope of the new life we have in him? Have I been united with him? Have I been crucified with him and raised to new life in him? You see, the gospel is the key to everything, and so we need to ask ourselves, do I believe the gospel? Because the gospel makes all the difference. You see, you can live a new life because you have been raised to a new life in Christ. You can change. That person you've been praying for can change because Christ died and destroyed and trampled on the power of sin and has given you His Spirit. You can choose to forgive over and over again. You can choose to turn the other cheek over and over again. You can choose to do what is right rather than what feels right because it is no longer you who live but Christ who lives in you. You can believe that the pain will one day be gone. You can believe that one day there will be no more suffering. You can believe. That there is hope beyond this life because christ was raised from the dead and you have been raised from the dead you have been raised to glorious life giving eternal life christ why do we live the christian life because the son of god loved me and gave himself for me he because he died And came back to life. And there is no other life I would rather live than the life I now have in Him, the life of freedom and joy and flourishing that He bought for me with His own blood. You see, we will be made fun of. We will be pressured. We will be misunderstood because the Christian life does not and will not ever make sense to those who have not accepted the gospel. In fact, The Bible warns us that the gospel will seem like foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly, meaning foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For To us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And that brings us back to our passage for today. Let's look at verse 1 again. Now I will remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And we need to notice two things here. The first is this. The gospel is necessary for our past, for our present, and for our future. Even as I read it, some of us may have noticed progression in the verse from past to present to future. See, the gospel is what we received and accepted in the past to become Christian. The gospel is the basis of what we stand in today. It's the basis of who we are today. And it is by the gospel that we are being saved from today into the future. Do you see how it's continuing? We are being saved from now into the future till salvation is complete. The gospel is the necessary key for our past, for our present, and our future. I said it just now, and I'll say it again. The gospel is the key not just to entering the Christian life. The gospel is the key to all of the Christian life. The gospel isn't the ticket onto the plane. The gospel is the plane itself. And it is the gospel that will carry us till the very end. And so we need to remind ourselves daily, throughout the day, the truths of the gospel and what it means for us. The second thing we need to notice from this is the grace of God because Paul has chosen his words very carefully here by which you are being saved. You are not saving yourself, you are being saved. Salvation is not something we can do for ourselves. It's something that is done for us. You see, the Bible calls us to accept the gospel. We we need to put faith in the gospel, but even our ability to accept, even our ability to put faith, that is a gift from God. Let me try and unpack what, what that means for different groups of us. And full disclosure, I put myself into each of these groups. The first group is those of us who fall into the trap of thinking that we can think our way into heaven. We think that a Christian faith is all about lining up all the evidence, and then we decide to become Christian because it makes the best sense of all the evidence out there. And then we think that growing as a Christian is about reading more books, and knowing more stuff, and accumulating more knowledge. Now, before I go on, I'm not trying to bash knowledge, there is a place for all these things, and, and we as Christians should grow in knowledge. But you can know everything there is to know about God and not know God. You can know everything there is to know about the gospel message and still not accept the gospel. You can hear everything there is to hear, but stop short of accepting we can't think our way into heaven because as Paul pointed out in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, no one can become a Christian apart from the supernatural intervention of the Holy Spirit. And you can't grow as a Christian apart from the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are saved by God and we will continue being saved by God. Our learning and our reading has to come with a humility and gratitude of realizing it's all a gift. The second group are those of us who have messed up big time and perhaps continue messing up. The takeaway from this verse is clear. If we are being saved, if you are being saved, you can't do anything to lose your salvation. Because your salvation has nothing to do with you in the first place. We aren't defined by our mistakes, we're defined by the gospel. Can I flip it the other way? That means that we aren't defined by our successes, we are defined by the gospel. Now, as God's Spirit works in us, as we grow in our love for God, we work hard. We work hard to live the Christian life that God has prepared for us. But we need to know the place of our hard work. We work hard in response to being saved, not in order to save ourselves. As one theologian put it, the gospel is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. The final group of us that I want to to talk to are are those of us who are wrestling with our faith. You know, I grew up in in a Christian family, going to church from as young as I could remember, and I remember the first time I began to to have doubts about the Christian faith. I was a young teenager And amidst many things that were scary, these doubts were really scary. Because you you don't know what to make of your doubts and your questions. Does it make you a bad Christian? Does it mean I can't be a Christian? For those of us who are wrestling, or who will wrestle with our faith, the reminder that it is God who saves us is so reassuring, isn't it? You see, it means that we we don't have to ignore our doubts. In fact, it means it frees us to be honest with our doubts. It frees us to confront them, to wrestle with them, to pray about them. Because as you do that, as you wrestle with your doubts, notice the fact that you are even wrestling in the first place is a sign of God's grace in your life. Because if God was not involved, there'd be no struggle at all. There would be no, you wouldn't even be considering the Christian faith. I've talked to, to numerous people and I've, myself, gone through the experience where we, we're trying to be Christian by sheer effort. Do you know? Like, I want to want to believe, but then this question pops up and I do my best to work through it and then, and then another crisis of faith comes up and I do my best to work through it. And all this time I wonder, am I, can I be a Christian? Am I a Christian? And my answer is this. Even wanting to want to be a Christian is a sign of God's grace in your life. Because a Christian is not someone who has figured it all out. A Christian is someone who has accepted the gospel and is in conversation with God as they figure things out. Do you see the difference? A Christian is not someone who has figured everything out, a Christian is someone who has accepted the gospel and is in conversation with God as they figure things out. So first point, the necessity of the gospel. Second point, holding fast to the gospel. Holding fast to the gospel. Let's look again at our verses. Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. When Paul talks about the word he preached to them, he's referring to the gospel. Now here is the question, isn't it? If we are being saved, if it is God who saved us, what does it mean to hold fast to the gospel? So I want to clarify a couple of things here. Firstly, I I want to be clear, being saved doesn't mean we sit back and don't have anything to do. That's not what the Bible says. We have to, the, the Bible calls us to accept the gospel. The Bible calls us to put faith in God. The Bible calls us to hold fast to the gospel. There are things for us to do, there are decisions for us to make. But like I said just now, and I want to reiterate again, being saved means that everything we do is a gift from God. Our ability to accept, to hold fast, even our faith, even our wanting to want to be a Christian, that is a gift from God. So what does Paul mean when he says hold fast to the gospel? What does it mean to believe in vain? Because at first glance, it seems quite confusing. It's really easy to misunderstand this verse here, so I want to go through it carefully. Firstly, let me tell you what the verse does not mean. What it does not mean. This verse does not mean, hold on as tightly as you can because only those who hold on tight enough will be saved. That's not what it's saying here. Paul is not calling us to believe as hard as we can in case we lose our salvation and our belief ends up coming to nothing. That's not what's happening here. You see, what we need to understand what Paul means when he says believed in vain because the phrase in vain can, 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 be, can mean different things. And, and we need to see how Paul means it in a particular way. In our verse, when Paul says in vain, he means being careless. He means doing something without reason, without thinking it through, without due consideration, we don't have time to go more into detail, but you can, feel free to come up and find me later on if you want more details on this, because this is really important. Paul is not saying hold fast, hold tight enough in case you lose your salvation. He's saying this, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed carelessly, unless you believed without thinking, without reason, without due consideration, See, Paul is not calling us to believe as hard as we can in case we lose our salvation. Paul is calling us to examine what we are believing. Do you see the difference? He calls us to examine what we are believing so that we make sure we are not believing without reason, without thinking it through. He's calling us to ask, are we believing the whole gospel? Let me put it in another way. The focus here is not on the quality of your belief, but the content of your belief. The focus here is not on the quality of your belief, but the content of your belief. Not the quality of your faith, but the object of your faith. And Paul calls the Corinthians to hold fast to the whole gospel because people were cutting out parts of the gospel. That's what was happening. Specifically, people were asking whether Jesus rose again from the dead. They thought the gospel presentation was Jesus died and was buried, full stop. And so today's passage calls us to ask ourselves, are there parts of the gospel that we are leaving out? That we are cutting out? See, the Corinthians were questioning Jesus' resurrection because their culture was making fun of them for believing in the resurrection. The people around them said they were foolish for believing the resurrection. We see in, in like Acts uh, 17, which ta- tells us about how some people responded when Paul preached the gospel to them. Look at verse 32 of chapter of Acts 17, and when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, meaning made fun of. See, what we see here is the truth that we probably have experienced today. In every time and in every place, there will always be a part of the gospel that you are made fun of for. There will always be a part of the gospel that seems foolish to the world. And Christians will always be tempted to leave out some part, to twist the gospel message just so we can fit in with the the culture around us for the corinthians it was the resurrection of the dead and i wonder what might it be for us today what part of the gospel message does the world make fun of you for or say you are foolish for believing in the reality of sin our need for a savior the joy of obedience the existence of the supernatural the possibility of the miraculous Christ City, we don't get to decide what the gospel message is. The gospel message is something we receive and accept and we hold fast to. You see, we hold fast to the gospel because we were created for the gospel and life will not make sense without the gospel past, present, and future. Since, since my family and I came back from Singapore... It's been raining nearly every single day. <laughs> we were trying to get over jet lag. It was cold. It was dark all the time. And it was really, really, really wet. But then yesterday, the sun came out. We didn't expect it, but the sun came out. And I don't know about you, but when the sun came, comes out, I do whatever I can to just bask in the sun. Because everything is bright, and then when you step into the warmth and light of the sunshine, everything just feels different, doesn't it? Christ City, we were created to walk in the warmth and light of the gospel. God calls us to hold fast to the gospel because we were created to walk in the warmth and light of the sunshine of the life-giving gospel. When you are cold, when you can't sleep, when you are wet, when everything is dark, would you warm yourself with the sunshine of the gospel? Would, would, would you step out and, and just bask in its glorious light, holding fast to the truths of the whole gospel. The life-changing news is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was raised on the first day. The gospel that we received, in which we stand, and by which we are being saved, till we see him for all of eternity. Let's stand as you respond to God's word.